Ladies and gents, what a pleasure it is to have you on board uh, for this episode 19 of the Football Attic Podcast. I'm Chris Oakley. And I'm Richard Johnson. I don't know why I did that voice. That's <laughs> because <laughs> I'm not on hosting duty, so I've gone insane. Oh, he always does this, doesn't he, everybody? My God, you can see what I've got to work with here. Anyway. <laughs> I am the class it's... clown. I apologise. <laughs> Uh, it's great to have you on board, and uh, if you can suffer uh, Rich's abnormal behaviour, then uh, you're welcome to stay with us for the next hour or so, as we give you uh, another uh, discussion on the topic, uh, on a topic of football nostalgia that we'll be uh, bringing to you very shortly. Uh, we are going to be talking about, in fact, uh, the official FIFA World Cup films. But before we get on to that, it uh, just leaves me to uh, do the usual chit-chat section, which we know you love so much. Rich, how's it going with you then? I like cheese. <laughs> it's going fine it's fine good (laughs) uh yeah i'm I'm still in kind of post uh world cup semi-final uh shock yes so uh, Mm. yeah that was quite fun to watch it was hilarious yes as we as we are recording this listeners it's it's less than 24 hours since um germany beat brazil 28 1 uh it was a (laughs) tremendous score i I lost count after about four it was brilliant to watch it was so funny (laughs) Just bizarre, wasn't it? Sorry for any Brazilians listening, but it was hilarious to watch wow. them just fall apart. And then just like, I actually, I was sitting there watching, I went, I want seven. I went, not six. <laughs> when, it was, when it was five, no, I, went, I want seven. I said, six is fine. That's humiliation. But seven, you just don't get. And I said, and especially in the World Cup, seven, five, and when he hit the seventh, it's like, oh, this is just brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just remember after the first one going in, I remember thinking, oh, we might have a game on our hands today. <laughs> Little did I know. <clears throat> Excuse me. So anyway, yes, um, I'm fine. How are you, Chris? Good. I'm I'm jolly good too. Yes, all the better for being back here. And so uh, I, I guess we have to make a slight apology, or at least I do, um, because um, this podcast we were going to record months and months ago um had the idea ages and ages ago about doing a <coughs> podcast where we get to talk about the official fifa world cup films and um having decided to do that i then very diligently started watching the films for research and making notes so i was actually writing them down on paper um, i then made the stupid mistake just before christmas 2013 uh, of moving house now i'm sure uh, many of you listening in will know what that's all about in terms of losing most of your personal possessions because that's what happened i had all these bits of paper with my notes on they get they got put into a cardboard box moved house and most of them i never saw ever again even now i don't know where they are um so we had to kind of delay things a bit uh just to give me time to kind of watch the films over and over again those that i needed to 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 make notes on and i think finally we are back here again we were even going to do this a couple of weeks ago but we've had to kind of juggle things around and yeah that that, that was mainly because i hadn't watched any of the films (laughs) Because I watched, well, <laughs> I watched most of them when they were on ESPN Classic about a year ago, but I was just watching that yeah. for fun, so made no notes. And then we agreed to do this, and then I suddenly said to Chris, I said, the only thing is I haven't actually had time to watch any of the films. So, um, <laughs> And then over the last few weeks, I still have really haven't had time to watch any, so I quickly <laughs> crammed a few in the other day. I know nothing about the 1970s. Did they even happen? I have no idea. We'll find out later. Um, and then I'm, I'm just winging the rest of it. I made copious notes about the first 20 minutes of the 1962 film, because that was interesting. <laughs> And the rest of it is just entirely made up. So I might mention things that never even happened in the films. I'm just, just, it's all lies. 
Well, you know, some of the films that I've seen, we probably need a bit of kind of fabrication to make them a bit more interesting. But anyway, there we go. Uh, I'm also very pleased to say that you, our wonderful listeners, have been uh, sending in some of your uh, thoughts and your favourite moments and indeed your favourite films uh, from the series. Uh, And we'll be reading those out in due course. Um, Now, I mean, the plan was when we originally decided to do this podcast was that I was going to cover the older end of the spectrum because I'm old, apparently long-term listeners will know all about that um and that you rich were going to do the more recent ones but we've got to say it's all got mangled so we'll just kind of try and cover all our bases i think as we go along so needless to say if you've never seen a world cup film before um you haven't missed rich, anything <laughs> yeah yes they have they've missed some bits and pieces um uh so i mean rich how what would you sort of how would you describe a world cup film for somebody who's never seen one before what are the cons, kind of constituent parts that you can expect in an average world cup film and by god there's been some average ones <laughs> the, the the constituent parts are get a relatively well-known celebrity to narrate it in the most bored sense possible um get some terrible music um <laughs> try and and take all the excitement out of it um, and build it into a narrative that bears no sort of resemblance to the structure of the actual tournament whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> although it does work as a narrative, I'll grant them that. Um, and 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 then just smash it all together um, and, and then put it all on film, uh, take all yes. the actual crowd noise out of it and replace it with generic crowd noise and then, <laughs> and then have the sound of every time the ball's kicked, it doesn't matter if it's headed chested whatever replace it with generic balls being thumped at 100 miles an hour sound although that's assuming the balls made of lead because that's what it sounds like <laughs> i think that i think that's pretty much distilled the whole right, that's the podcast done yeah now. <laughs> yeah and and the bad points uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah um marco kane i don't know who that was <laughs> or sean bean we'll come on to sean bean later oh sean bean later right, right. um <laughs> so it's done <laughs> he's a good lad. He's loves after loves uh, loves his mother. <laughs> <laughs> a good old rother of blood. <clears throat> um, yes, yeah, so a, a spoiler alert here. There will be dodgy accents coming up <laughs> later on and impersonations. But there ain't um, no yeah. Ray Winston for this one. Oh, there oh he is. no! Have a well, actually, I was going to. You've actually, uh, with great in, uh, uh, unerring foresight, uh, answered one of the questions I was going to say later on, which is, uh, I mean, skip. We, I know we're kind of darting around here a bit but if they had to make well they, obviously somebody's probably somewhere going to make a film of the current world cup 2014 who do you think they should get an, as a narrator it's got to be ray winston hasn't it really i mean he is oh, let's face God. it he's the man who is everywhere these days yeah can you just imagine that brazil stuffed up the arse by germany bloody crap-tastic i don't know that's that's less ray winston one than my usual impression i apologize for that yeah <laughs> have a bag on that <laughs> you slag uh, Brazil went home like mugs. <laughs> yeah, wangers. Neymar, uh, no more, you slag. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, th- I think we need <clears throat> to get back to the... I'd like the, to point out, actually, most most of uh, the my descriptions of the films uh, there come mostly from the later films, because the, some yes. of the early films are just bizarre. <laughs> bizarre, and, and there's a sort of middle period, I would say, in the in the 80s, which are brilliant, I think, just because the, the charm... <coughs> 
of them. And yet, if you study them too much, then you start to find that they're a bit weird as well. But anyway, let's see if we can go through and make some sense of this chronologically. Uh, you were quite right, I think, really. You named all the constituent parts, really, um, even down to the strange sound effects and overdubbing. Um, but um, I'm sure we'll come on to that. So th here's the thing, right? My When I first found out about the, the World Cup films, it was sort of mid to late 80s. And I went, I remember visiting, I don't know if it was the Virgin Megastore in uh, Oxford Street in London, or the HMV, one of those two. But this was around the time, this was the first time I'd ever been to one of those places. And it's just, as anyone who's been to one of those shops will know, you can just spend all day in there wandering around. And, and at, back then I used to look around at all the vinyl records and the, <laughs> shame my age, um, vinyl records, CDs and all that kind of thing. And then they, both stores had a big VHS section. And I remember wandering around there, and, and seeing all these sort of football tapes. And there were a couple that sort of stood out at the time. One was Hero, which is the 1986 film. The other one was Golay, uh, which is 82. And then there were the 1970-1974 films. And to my knowledge, those were the only four that they had. So, as far as I was concerned, they started in 1970. And there was no 1978 film, which I didn't quite understand at the time. But we'll come on to that later as well. As it turns out... The first FIFA film, um, in essence, at least the way it's considered now, was from 1954. Now, I think what's happened here is that FIFA, at some point in the last decade or so, have discovered that there was this film done by local, you know, like German filmmakers. And retrospectively, they got in touch with them and sort of said, look, you know, we'd like to kind of build up our category of FIFA official films here. Could we kind of put our name on your film and call it an official one? Here, have this check. And they went, yes, OK, then. And, and now they've kind of retrospectively um, added it to the canon, so to speak. So, but as it is, 1954, it's the first one in the series. Um, anyone listening in from the UK, I think you'll have probably seen... Um, possibly all of the films actually because i think they've been shown on bbc2 is that right rich on, on the lead up to the world cup they have they've shown all of them they even showed a weird 15 minute one to cover the uh, 1930 uh, one in yeah. uruguay which was just weird um well i when i heard about that I thought, i'm not falling for that there was no official film there's no, probably exactly. only a few little scraps of film that they've cobbled together that sounds well like i i looked it. at it and it's literally 15 minutes long so they they yeah. i don't think they were really pretending it was an official world cup film although they might have oh, built okay. it as such i don't know but yes, it, it certainly wasn't original. But I started watching the 1954 one, and I couldn't. I couldn't watch it. I literally got 15 minutes in, and it was so bad. I mean, I, the, some of the things I do remember is that whenever someone scored a goal, because half the time they'd missed the, the actual goal, and uh, it was really weird, because like you say, we've talked about overdubbing and, and things like that, and the way they put extra bits on. And I remember watching One Night in Turin, the film about the 1990 World Cup, not the official FIFA one. But, um, yeah. and one thing that always annoyed me at that was that every time a goal was scored they cut to an animation like an, not an animation, like a bit of film of someone chucking a ball in the net so you just see the back of the net <laughs> Yes, and they did that <clears throat> they did that on some of the early films as well which is weird because you think normally when they do that it's because they don't have the footage of the goal itself or they don't have the rights to it or something like that but yeah. they did, and they had the actual kind of footage of the goal, but they would still show this ball hitting the back of the net, and it looked like literally yeah. it was someone I was off camera chucking it in. I mean, it's just <laughs> Absolutely. Think, what? But yeah, I couldn't actually watch it, mainly because the, the uh, narration was so uh, cut glass accented. It was just almost impossible. I mean, we think Sean Bean was bad. This was just like, it was, <laughs> it was such a harsh sound, and the, and the film was so 
uninteresting. I just couldn't yeah. watch any more of it. So I I started the films and then quickly abandoned the early ones. And then I think I think I tried Fifty Eight as well, and that was just as bad. And then I I moved on to Chile after that, which was actually quite interesting. It got yeah. a bit it got a bit more filmic rather than you know kind of they yeah. reached the point where they started realizing how to make films as opposed to how to make a really crappy sports documentary. <laughs> but that's well, actually, then, yeah. I was gonna say that's one of the interesting things actually is is seeing how they've they've changed throughout the years. And and you mm. made a really good point a minute ago about the, the ones in the eighties having quite a lot of charm. The mm. funny thing is they they they've evolved from the sense of like I say, initially no one seemed to really know how to make a sports film. And then when mm. you hit the sort of sixties, clearly they've realised that these are films and so mm. they want to make it interesting and they've added this narrative to it. <clears throat> and in the eighties yeah. That kind of they took the weirdness of the narrative because we'll talk about the 1970 sort of story in that sense, and they they removed that aspect, but they became a narrative in themselves. But then mm. by the time you get to the sort of late 90s, early 2000s, they've just become almost corporate blandness. It's there's no mm. real narrative yes. in there at all. It's literally just almost like yeah, we're just going to show you what happened in a kind of an, an out of sequence way and try and weave a story out of it, but not really bother. It's just tell you that France got to the final in 98 or something. <clears throat> and it, it's, it's yes. interesting because they, now they are just literally very, very boring corporate films, whereas in the 80s and I'd say even the sort of early to mid-90s they still had a bit of charm about them. They were they were quirky, which uh, is yeah. sadly not really there anymore. No, indeed. Um, I couldn't agree more, actually. Because um, I've been... If I've got any blind spots on these films at all, it's the, uh, it's, it is the latter ones. Um, I remember seeing the 1990 film ages and ages and ages ago to the point where I can barely remember any of it and unfortunately I haven't got my own copy. Um, and then um, 94 will come on to... Um, and then the last few films that have been made leading up to sort of 2010, um, I couldn't seem to watch for very long because I just got bored with them but um, anyway as I say we will head towards those um, later on going right back to the beginning um, those first few films going up to 1962 uh, were all in black and white and the the sort of formula was (coughs) laid down really um, right from the off which is that and some of these things you've already mentioned actually Rich um, things like um, you typically near the start of the film you get a sort of sights and sounds of the country where the things being held uh, like um, in the 1958 film which is called Hinain or Hinain I'm not sure how you pronounce that you sort of see Stockholm and stuff like that and um, local people and generally kind of uh, local people getting infused by the arrival of the world championships as it was probably known then Um, and then once the, the the actual footage begins you get for every shot that you see uh, taken by a player you get one shot of a um, a face in the crowd. They used to like very regularly focusing on people in the crowd. <laughs> These strange kind of folk from the you know the 1950s, um, wearing kind of I don't know cloth caps and heavy overcoats and and smoking in the crowd and all this kind of stuff. And uh, as well as that, there was also this habit of um, trying to fool the audience and failing, in my view, most of the time by showing. Um, from time to time the same person over and over again like they'd sort of show one match 
and you'd see some guy with a big cigar or something in, a, in, in the crowd and then they'd move on to the next match and then you see the first guy in the crowd again you think he wasn't going to all the matches that guy with the cigar you know they're just kind of it's just a bit of sort of stock footage that they had of, of a few people that were watching the match and um, so you get a lot of that there's a lot of repetition of uh, people uh, in the crowd shots um, someone um, I think uh, on Twitter forgive me if it was you I, uh, listening in I can't remember who it was somebody a while back said um, they seem very staged those um, those crowd scenes in the early black and white films and and I wouldn't be at all surprised if it was a kind of rent a crowd job you know just 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 look like you're cheering on a football team will you please yeah when we say action just sort of look animated um so there's all that um one comment we had from uh, Dave A Burin on Facebook he uh, was talking about the 58 film he thinks that's his favorite one actually he said um, nothing says classic world cup like Vava and Pele banging in goals to the sound of polite clapping on the terraces. Uh, can't remember who the English language narrator is. I shall come on to that in a moment. Uh, it says, but the original version was done by Herbert Zimmerman, who famously commented, commentated on the Miracle of Bern game when Germany won the World Cup in 54. Here's a <coughs> trivia question on that then, Rich. The commentator, uh, the English language commentator for the 58 film was a guy called Steve Hudson. And your question is, uh, Steve Hudson did a famous TV advert voiceover. Do you know for which brand he did that voiceover? I'm going with either Silit Bang or Radium B. <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, no idea. No, 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 I'm sorry to disappoint you. I'm <clears> going to have to take two points away. That's, uh, you were wrong on that. Um, he's, uh, he was the guy who did the voiceover on the Old Spice advert. Oh, he's the one who my says, time, mate. Before my time. <laughs> you must have seen it. And it's no, on never. every Christmas. No, never. He was, in, he was the man who used to say, Old Spice, the mark of a man. He was that guy. I'm sure many people listening in will know who I'm talking about. But anyway, that's him. And the fact is, and this tallies up with what I was saying earlier on, that um, he, uh, the VHS tape of that film was released in 1998. And that's probably when he did the voiceover for it, which kind of shows that it wasn't, I don't think, originally an official FIFA film. They just sort of... You know, adopted it latterly, but um, so there he goes. And there's, I mean, yeah, you, you tend to see a lot, a lot of the same sort of stuff in those early black and white films, local scenes and venues and cities and stuff, bit of crowd action. Um, in the '62 film, which was called Viva Brazil, <coughs> um, you get, I think it was originally uh, dubbed in German because I think the, the filmmakers were German. But there were these two English guys, um, John Fosbury and Alan Grace, who had terribly clipped English accents. Uh, and one of them would do the kind of link material, shall we say, and the other guy would do the commentary on the matches. And, um, yes, it was sort of all these kind of puns. I don't know if you remember it watching the film, but there were all these kind of little puns uh, littering uh, the, the, the commentary, uh, supposedly funny comments. Um, and... Um, there was one shot in the 62 film, the one little sequence that they show a nightclub in somewhere in Chile, probably Santiago or something. And there were these four dancers on a stage um, decorated in the colours of various teams and they were holding footballs. And the, and the commentator says, quite a team. I wouldn't mind a game with them myself. <laughs> and, it, and that's kind of where we're, that's the level it was pitched at, really. So it's kind of harder work as well. I mean, you know, black and oh, white, yeah. if you, you know, for that, those of us who are young uh, if, if only at heart, um, seeing that. But it's the, the, what's interesting actually is, is the football action. If you can kind of focus on that and, and try and get in your head 
the context of which were the big <coughs> teams and the big players at the time. It's quite good. I mean, you see in the 62 film, you see Jimmy Greaves playing. And um, I think in the, I think it was that one or 58, the 58 film, you see Bobby Robson playing for England against Austria and stuff like that. So there are interesting bits. Um, what, what, what was amongst your notes for 62? Well, actually, that, that's the one that I did make quite a few notes on. Um, and yeah. to me, it was the first one that was kind of any way, in any way sort of interesting in the sense that they didn't just focus on the the football matches. They, they This is when they started to sort of try and build a narrative around it. Because, yeah. I mean, there's some quite funny things. I, I've, some of the notes I've written, I've written 300% import duty. I've no idea what that was on. <laughs> I just remember writing that at the time. Thinking, I think they'd uh, increase the import duty. For, oh, it was... Um, oh, I'm racking my brain. That sounds vaguely familiar. Yeah, I just remember them mentioning it. It was something to do with they were saying about how the fact that um, someone people couldn't afford certain somethings. I really should have written a better note than that, shouldn't I? Anyway, in 1962, in 1962 in Chile, there was a 300 percent import duty on something. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't Um, something like TVs or something like that, was it? Or it might well have been. Yeah, yeah, it might. Yeah, because of course they had to import everything because they didn't have their own. So that's that. Yeah, you're right. Because it was showing some bloke watching it in the window of like a radio rentals type thing or something. Yes. And they were mentioning the fact that, yeah, most people didn't have a TV because there was a 300% import duty on it because it was in Chile. Um, the one, one of the other, I know, you, you have used it. Uh, one of the <laughs> other things was like, is the fact that they, that the, just the line, all the te- all the visiting teams landed at the airport. And it was just, I loved yeah. the fact that it was like, landed at the airport as opposed to where the field. <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was just the fact that it was such a novelty as well because I think this was probably one of the first ones where a lot of where all of them had flown because previous yeah. World Cups you know, in the 1930s they all went by ship or something it took three That's years right. to get there. Um, <laughs> I'd noticed that the stadium wasn't finished um, and there was much coverage about that. Uh, and yeah. the other thing I noticed myself was product placement was was massive Ooh, yeah. in the early films. You would have yes. thought that was a kind of modern phenomena, but. The person handing out the fixture wheels, which was one thing that they oh, yeah. were giving out to people at the opening uh, match, massive Phillips badge on her jacket, yes. um, which I noticed yes. at the time. And then there's this weird bit later on where they show, for no reason whatsoever, uh, some bloke serving customers drinks. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these weird cutaways that they do. But it's Coke. It's all Coca-Cola. <laughs> yes. And it's a, very, very heavily implying that you know, Coca-Cola is a great drink. And But the, the guy selling it is doing this weird... He looks like a monkey with the way he's moving. <laughs> he's, he's kind of serving people at about like, you yes. know, t- two people every second. And it's just... It looks so staged because he doesn't appear to be checking anybody's money or anything unless everybody in the place has got the exact change needed. Because he's literally taking the money with one hand, giving them a bottle, and then moving sort of scoots to the right to serve the next person like a crab monkey thing. And then he sort of does that. And then he's kind of doing this weird dance or something. It's like he's been electrocuted or something as, he, as he's serving people. Very, very strange. Um, and, and the other two, th- the, the other main thing that I notice is the one thing that really bugged me with this film it, it, it tells you what's going to happen just before it happens every single time it'll say like yeah. and then Germany scored the third goal and then they'd show you the, the picture of Germany scoring the third thanks I could have just watched that and you could have maybe either not mentioned it or just let me see it you know it's just like but no you tell me what's going to happen just before it happens every time because that's not annoying yeah. and that, again that, that smacks of early sort of football reporting you know kind yeah. of, they like to tell you what's going to happen <laughs> maybe so just much like for the element of suspense yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like I, I tell you what—if you did just shut up, I could have seen it happen. Uh, <laughs> I tell you, you're absolutely spot on with the product placement thing. Because I was thinking that I've got that on my notes as well. Because um, 
on the Coca-Cola thing as well, there's a scene where they cut away to <clears> the <throat> neon lights, uh, nightlife in Santiago, and amongst which are uh, these uh, this display showing the Coca-Cola uh, logo <laughs> lit up in light bulbs. You kind of go, oh, okay, and that's with the, you know with the bottle store at the ground as you were saying and the truck <coughs> displaying the logo um, and did you also see there's a bit in there as well where they said um, they show these um, two stars from the 1954 and 58 World Cup demonstrating the latest in football boots and it's a guy with an Adidas hold all nearby and he kind of gets out all these kind of boots and he sort of hands them over to these players to have a look at and they're kind of uh, and then um, later on um, in they show you like the press office where you've got all these teletype facilities and uh, banks of typewriters and things. And there's a guy there, the guy selling his Adidas football boots turns up in there as well. You're like, what's going on? <laughs> it's a really deliberate product placement for the era. It's just quite incredible. It, it is really because, like you say, you get so used to sort of product placement like that being a, a relatively, you know, kind of from the eighties onwards. But it was, it was really, yeah. and it was really blatant as well. There was no kind of apologies <laughs> for it. It was just like buy Adidas, buy Coke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are no others available the only uh, other note I made on the 62 one is that there's at one point there's um, uh, a Soviet um, player who gets injured um, mm. he gets carried off uh, in a really bad fashion it's quite funny because he's like carried off by about four people you know pulling his legs and arms asunder <laughs> but the interesting point about it was that when he's being carried off all the cameramen who are uh, sitting at the side of the pitch race onto the pitch yeah. and they're all like surrounding him and you just think that would never happen these days. It's just really bizarre. It's just like the because obviously in those days the cameraman used to literally be lining the edge of the pitch, but they just yeah. legged it on and start taking close-up <laughs> photos. That's right. I mean, just generally, I mean, even I've got here a note uh, during the final um, when Brazil scored their second goal, hundreds of photographers running onto the pitch, and um, they used to do. I think um, I don't know if it was in a World Cup film or not. There was a scene I've seen somewhere where there's like a penalty shootout or something. So. Um, they decide which end of the pitch they're going to do the penalties, and suddenly everybody legs it from one end of the pitch to the other. Like, just <laughs> it's like, what? Get off the pitch for Christ's sake! <laughs> ah, different days. Um, but yeah, so I mean, so those are the sort of early few films. We haven't really sort of dealt too much with the '54 film, but you get the general idea. Another thing that you see a lot of is shots of the scoreboards, and if that's your kind of thing, let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, you've come to the right place, because if you go to our Facebook page, we've got lots of pictures of scoreboards uploaded there for your delight, uh, but um, they would regularly cut away in these films to uh, to, to show you the, the current score on the scoreboard, which is um, quite nice, if you like that sort of stuff. Um, cool. uh, our Facebook page, of course, being facebook.com forward slash the football attic there we go football facebook.com facebook.com slash the football attic. yes right you got the idea right fine. easy for you to say <laughs> uh, uh, or not, <clears throat> now yes. 1966 what? the first color film 1966 goal <clears throat> exclamation mark um now i love this film i haven't i didn't really see it until relatively recently in my life actually but it is a lovely lovely film and it's got all the kind of quirky britishness about it um it reminds you of your teenage years chris (laughs) (laughs) yeah um did you see the 66 film i started watching it um and then didn't finish it (laughs) steaming buffoon well i knew what was happening at the end so it was boring (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's your uh, some people are on the pitch or something whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no I, I did start watching it but I didn't get a chance to finish that one but there was a lot of things about Swinging London yeah exactly yes yeah it's I I really liked it because it um it had that sort of mid 60s feel to it like you know the 
swinging 60s quotation marks um uh the um interesting excuse me the interesting thing about the uh, 66 film is that the commentary was written by brian glanville the esteemed uh football journalist uh world soccer writer and uh much credit to him with his career and all the various places and uh, things that he's written over the years um so he did the script and it was spoken by nigel patrick who was an actor of the time um and then uh, the music was composed and conducted by a guy called john hawksworth now if you know your tv theme tune trivia he did theme tunes for man about the house rhubarb the the animated cartoon (laughs) series and george and mildred uh two of which of course are those uh connected that's right man about the house and rhubarb i mean uh, (laughs) so uh yeah he did the, the 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 jaunty kind of um 60s style music for that very nice too um slightly kind of jazz like freestyle jazz in places the sort of soundtrack for the 66 film um but one note i've got here uh for the 66 film uh tallies up with what you were saying earlier on and that is the very poor and somewhat repetitive sound effects bit over deliberate as in quite often you'll see like a a pitch level shot of a guy running down the wing with a ball and it's clearly a man with a bag of sugar giving it a good shake as if like they're as if they're running on because they used to have like cinder tracks didn't they in the old days and yeah. around the stadium and it sounds like they're running on that but obviously they're not they're running on grass so i think why is it why are you making it sound like there's a man sort of drowning in a big bag of you know um polystyrene you know what are they what's that stuff they fill with bean bags that's it all that you know what i'm talking about <laughs> you that's what lost it sounds yourself, like haven't you yes i'm, I'm trying to a reverie a about polystyrene yeah, it's just like you just <laughs> kind of sound every time somebody dribbles the ball down the wing. It's quite strange, really. But um, anyway, other than that, you get a, an insight into what um, England was like in, at the time of uh, uh, fans wearing rosettes and you know shaking rattles and all that kind of quaint stuff that we sometimes talk about from those days. Um, but that, but that in itself is one of the great things about the the sort of films that, like I say, it's not so prevalent now. Is it really gives you a sense of the time. Yeah, you know, the '60s film is very '60s, and and similarly mm. the the mid '80s one is it couldn't be more mid '80s <laughs> yeah. if it tried, you know. And no, a lot indeed. of that's down to the soundtrack and the style of narration and stuff, but it's also the the extra little bits they chuck in, you know, the the, the sort of cultural references and the the kind of you know clips of all the other the locals and things like that. And it's just mm. I don't know, just the latter films seem to really lack that sense of identity. They're just they're literally just like corporate films it's it's a real mm. shame because like i say you watch the 66 one and it couldn't be anything other than 1966 no, it's just just by the style of it it's mm. <laughs> and well, this, similarly this, this, when, go on. sorry go on no no you gone. i was gonna say similarly when you get to 1970 it's it is very <laughs> very much of the time it's just it's yeah I and mean, nowadays you watch a film and apart from the obvious you know things like kits and and, and knowing where it took place. There's no real kind of marker as to what era it was. I mean, you watch the 98 yeah. one, 2002 one, and like I say, apart from the kits, it could have been, you know, it could have been the 2010 one for all we know. Yep, yep, agreed, <clears throat> agreed. Um, yeah, I mean, there's actually, there's one um, comment that we've had uh, come in about the 66 film, actually, and that was from Derek Bell on Twitter. Hello, Derek. He says, um, I love the clipped moral narration to the 66 film. Uh, he makes reference to a section where they show you uh, Liverpool, because that's where obviously some of the games are taking place. 
And uh, he refers to this bit of the narration where it says these grim streets, uh, which is juxtaposed with modern jazz. But it's this kind of thing of like, you know, this is where the commoners live because you see all these kind of like Coronation Street style kind of rooftops spreading out for miles, rain teeming down and grey skies and everything. Um, but it, it also I mean, he's, he talks about the narration and I mentioned at the start uh, of this uh, that um, Brian Glanville wrote the commentary. It, a lot of the narration is very clipped, very sort of short. Like there's a line where so the, the, the guy um, uh, commentating says, Bulgarelli lunges, Tesla ligament is carried off. There's no, there's no kind of words linking up. <laughs> it's like kind of small groups of words. And it's, there's lots of that kind of staccato style delivery. Um, but you get the usual stuff at the beginning. You've got the, the teams arriving at um, London Airport and all that kind of stuff bit of scene setting what london's like folks kind of milling around hyde park or wherever it is they happen to be all that kind of stuff and then um you know all the crowd scenes and and stuff so it's already like four or five films in you're starting to see that there's a um a, a pattern emerging um but one thing actually if you're talking about what what you can expect from a world cup film what i like compared to say tv coverage when you're watching you know the world cup on tv is there's a hell of a lot of um, footage that's taken at pitch side level rather than up high at the back of the stadium. And I really like that and the, uh, because they point the camera at the, you know, the a, a player or maybe two players <coughs> having a bit of a scuffle. And then even after the ball's been kicked away, they just leave the camera running and you'll quite often you'll see the expression on a player's face. Like it might be disappointment that his pass has gone astray or elation that he's put the ball in the back of the net or whatever. And that, I love that. That's what I love about the, the World Cup films. I mean, we very flippantly saying earlier on, and it's some of the kind of less brilliant aspects of them. But that one thing nails it. And in the 66 film, you get lots of that. You get to see lots of the great stars of that tournament, like Eusebio and, um, you know, Jeff Hurst, Bobby Moore, and, and so on, and the Brazilian players. Pele, of course, was in there as well. So um, there's lots of good stuff, actually, in the 66 film. And it's in colour, which just makes a huge difference, as you'd expect. Exactly. Um, Yes, um, Nin- and lots of yeah. Sorry, gone. I was going to say 1970. 1970. Let's what, go on. What to a strange film. Um, <laughs> this, it's a little-known fact. It was actually the script for 19, the 1970 film because um, they'd moved. I, th- I don't think they were produced by Germany. Well, this was actually the script was written by Rolf Harris. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> it wasn't really. It was just a yeah. The, the 1971 <laughs> surprised me. <laughs> really? Yeah. Can you tell what it is yet? It's so. <laughs> don't pick it up, Rolf. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. The 1971. I I didn't watch it all. I've I've watched again about the first half an hour because that's all I got chance to watch. But this is where they started really introducing a a proper actual story narrative theatrical one that has nothing to do with the actual tournament whatsoever and it it starts off with some little mexican boy looking towards i think he's looking at one of the stadium probably the azteca i guess um and he's dreaming about being able to watch a world cup match Mm. i wish i could watch the world that's not that's not mexican (laughs) i don't know where he's from there freaky from greece or something Um, (laughs) just shop owner exactly i apologize (laughs) I wish to see the World Cup. That's what he probably said. <laughs> Don't <laughs> call him flatulent, otherwise we'll be in all kinds of trouble. <laughs> oh, lordy. Um, yeah, so he starts off wanting to see the World Cup. So he decides that he's just going to... Does he tell his parents? I don't, are his parents even there? I can't remember. He just yeah, he decides says, so, to... 
Go on. Th- there's a there's a line of narration where he says, "Mama, she wouldn't let me. She wouldn't understand." Because he probably, yeah. <laughs> she wouldn't understand. Uh, <laughs> arriba, arriba. <laughs> um, so yeah, so he wants to go and he, he dreams of seeing Pele, and and um, this is the world at their feet. This is the 1970 film, and um, yeah, so he basically just decides to go anyway because his mum won't take him to the football idiot. Yeah. So you were and saying, so, so he ends up catching a lift off some random couple that he just finds on the road with with a, an open top car. It's not at all dodgy, <laughs> and, and then they they give him a lift to somewhere, and then he has to walk the rest or something. And it's, well, he gets, he gets can... a lift in a, in a pig truck, and then he gets on the back of a donkey. Then he's in the back of a coke truck. Can you see the product placement <laughs> happening there again? And then in a river canoe, and then he's, and then he's. I think he meets up with that couple again, doesn't he? Further down the line, I can't remember now. Yeah, which is stupid because they were going to the stadium, and yet they only take him like about two hundred yards down the road, and they go, "Ah, oh, it's probably a donkey or something you can use, or a river canoe, perhaps, <laughs> you know, or a coke truck. Buy coke, it's nice." <laughs> and then, but then, literally, he arrives at the same time, which you think, well, how the hell did he manage that? And and secondly, why didn't you just take him to the stadium? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nah, no, you're right. You're a small boy. We'll abandon you in the middle of Mexico. That's fine. It's perfectly yeah. acceptable. It's 1970. It's 110 degree heat. You'll be fine. Don't worry about yeah, it. Don't worry about it. Ay, ay, ay. I'm sure you're wearing your sombrero even now as we speak, aren't you, Rich? Only my sombrero. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> anyway, if I can move on. Not um, on my head, though. <laughs> That's what I suspected. Um, so, I mean, on on the whole f- sort of film, um, a couple of technical points once again. Um, the the main theme at the beginning is called Mucho Mexico 70, which I'm hoping we're going to be using as our theme for this podcast. A lovely bit of music by the John Shakespeare Orchestra. Um, and there's also other kind of Mexican-themed music uh, throughout the film, which is uh, adds to the atmosphere of the thing. A bit stereotypical, but then, you know, so are we. So who am I? <laughs> um, and the... Narrator, can you remember the narrator there, uh, Rich, for the film? Uh, for 1970, I can. He, he says, reading off Wikipedia, it's Patrick <laughs> Allen. <laughs> Patrick Allen, and what was he Patrick notoriously? Allen. Who's Patrick uh, Allen? He, Patrick Allen. Um, let, me just, let me just right click. <laughs> oh, God, he's he was a British. Uh, John Keith Patrick Allen, 17th of March 1927 to 20th of July 2006, was a British film, television, and voice actor. Citation needed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he did films and stuff. He did, he did films. Sherlock he did Holmes stuff, and he did loads of adverts. Oh, he was apparently he was in the Saints alongside Roger Moore. Yes, that as yeah. well. Oh, he did Protect and Survive. He did Protect and Survive. Like if you're in the event of a nuclear war, <clears throat> yeah, <laughs> paint your bodies. White. Yeah, <laughs> put your bodies outside the front door and close it behind you, preferably with you on the inside. <laughs> um, uh, he also um, did voiceovers for loads and loads of um, TV commercials in the day, um, most notably Barrett Holmes, <clears throat> for those of you who are into your TV nostalgia. Uh, he also did um, voiceover for the Two Tribes uh, video he did, as yes. well. Yes, which I, uh, I think one or two people on Twitter have been uh, mentioning. Uh, so, yes, a, a well-known voice, if you hear him, you'll, you'll know who he is instantly. And I thought he was an excellent narrator, actually, for that. So, uh, so that's that. Um, and uh, what else we got for 1970? Again, lots of sites of oh yes, lots of sites of scoreboards again. But this time, they're these strange blue scoreboards with like number tiles that slot in whenever somebody scores, and they're all sponsored by a watchmaker called Bulliver, which I'm sure some of you will know. Some of you won't. Uh, quite big they were, I think, in the 60s. A bit like um, Hublot 
in the 2014 World Cup, if you, if you will, if you're looking for an equivalent for that. Um, and um, yeah, it just the whole film to me is saturated in sunshine. You know, we've mentioned on the on the podcast before how a good World Cup is essentially it can only be determined by how much sunshine kind of pervades all the action on the pitch and stuff and of course Mexico being what it is the hot country that it is there's lots of sunny scenes throughout it's brilliant and um, just brings all the football to life that you know the great Brazilian team of 1970 superb it is one of my favourite films 1970 um, and of course and do you remember what happens with the little boy at the end no because I've never seen it does he die oh, you haven't seen it yet does he <laughs> die in the heat or does, uh, <laughs> does, he, does he turn up on Rolf's cartoon time <laughs> no, no, you'll be you'll be pleased. Does he to get hear. to the final? He gets the final where and then his he mum... kisses Pele's head, forehead, erectile dysfunction. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't know why I said that's back to Rolf Harris again. Yeah, <laughs> um, yes, he's, he's he's in the stadium. He sneaks into the stadium before the final begins, and his mum turns up and sort of says, "Ah, you know, basically, I've caught you in Mexican." And, what was she um, doing there? She decides to go along anyway. I think she'd been looking. Oh, that's right. There's a bit in the film earlier in the film. She finally realised one of her kids was missing. It's gone. That's right. She's watching it on TV and sees her son in the crowd and thinks, oh, yeah, that's where he's gone. He's been missing for three and a half weeks. Hang on a minute. (laughs) Yeah. I wonder why he hadn't been kind of going to school for the last few weeks. Um, I wonder where Speedy had gone. (laughs) And um, and then after the final. There's the wonderful payoff line at the end where he says, Mama, how far is it to Munich? <laughs> no, st- no, stop. I'm just killing myself <laughs> laughing here. Um, so there we are. At which um, point so- she beats him. <laughs> Clips him around the ear to yeah. an inch of his life. You'll get um, home now. You've got to eat your beans and uh, tacos or something. How <laughs> uh, to stereotype a nation. Yes. Um, so we got to get across the border into America. <laughs> so I, apologize. I can only hope, listeners, that half of this is going to be edited out for your sake. So I really, am. it's not. Um, it's going to be kept in there. <laughs> uh, but um, yeah, as you say, this is the first, and to my knowledge, only film where they tried to have some kind of subplot. I don't think they tried. You know, they, they bothered with it anymore. But it's inter- it's it's charming in its own way. At least they tried something different. You got to applaud them for that. But I can kind of see why they didn't bother in future. So. Yeah. There we are. 1974, Heading for Glory was the next one. What's your knowledge I, of that? Uh, I know that it was called Heading for Glory. I know that well it done. was narrated by Joss Ackland. Who, Joss Ackland. Joss Ackland. Uh, sorry, uh, Sidney Edmund Jocelyn Ackland. CD, <laughs> born Citation needed. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've not seen this one. And I, this is the thing, I've not seen any of the 70s one. I think I started watching the Argentina one, um, but it was quite depressing. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, 70, so I'm, yeah. you're going to have to hand over to your expertise on the 70s ones. Sorry, yes, allow me to do a bit more rambling. Sorry about this. 74, um, yeah, Joss Ackland. Now, another fine, wonderful actor and with a, a real, um, just a very characterful voice. But his voice, his delivery, plus the script, I mean, it's it's so fruity in its kind of thespian delivery. It's just, it's it's hilarious, actually. And the script, I don't know quite who wrote the script. Oh, a guy called Jeffrey Green. I do know who wrote the script. There you go. I don't know who Jeffrey Green is. But it's just some of the dialogue is hilarious. And I know um, we've had some comments about this. I'll read them out in a moment. Um, an, an early bit, you hear him say, Johan Cruyff, natural heir to Pelé, lonely as a mountain wind, Holland's captain, an original Dutch master. He has tilted at windmills and lost. And you're like, what are you auditioning for something? I, mean, what? I just don't understand. 
and, and then they show you like a uh, there's a section where they show you the uh, uh, reporters in the stadium um, uh, and they're all sitting there at their typewriters and he says typewriters become woodpeckers chipping away at the truth it's just it's just totally over the top script brilliant um, but the interesting thing with the 90 uh, sorry with the 74 film is that it's kind of in reverse they start off by showing you the final uh, and uh, the final action in the final as it were and then the final whistle goes Jack Taylor the English referee blowing the whistle and then they kind of then rewind and go back to the start of the tournament when all the teams are turning up in their coaches and stuff and um, so it's it's kind of like the wrong way around but it's quite an interesting way of introducing the uh, all the content of the film and um, you know it's much the same lots of great football action pitch side views of all the great players your Johan Cruyff Beckenbauer's and all the rest of it um, some interesting kits as well this is where you start seeing some some sort of crossover between the old style football kits that were worn and the new ones so you've got the first sort of adidas kits coming on stream then teams like holland and poland and yugoslavia and all that um so that's kind of a, a, a an interesting sort of spotlight on that specific period in time um more bad dubbing and um there's some also interesting little bits and pieces thrown in to kind of break up the, the pace like there's a, sh a scene where they show you the world cup trophy being removed from a secret vault somewhere i can't remember where there was somewhere in germany and um, being put into a kind of presentation case and then being delivered to the final in the back of a security van and stuff like that it's just interesting stuff that you wouldn't normally see <clears throat> um and they show you jack taylor and his assistants getting ready for the final you know testing the pressure of the ball and even blowing the whistle to make sure it works correctly and all that kind of stuff. Just little sort of bits thrown in. Very nice. And that so is, that, it's that, that sort of stuff that's missing. Well, I was going to say the funny thing is that's interesting, actually. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because um, in, in, I think it's the 2002 one, and I think the 2006 one as well, uh, I, I think I've, I'm getting both of these sort of mixed up. There's the, the, they actually show very similar things. They show the World Cup trophy being brought out and actually assembled as well, which is quite interesting because... Huh. Uh, that shows them screwing the base on and giving it a polish, giving wow. it a nice buff. Um, and also show the balls being tested um, and yep. also focus quite a bit on the referees. I think it's the 2002 one. They actually have, they keep going back yeah. to the referees and, and and 74 officials or something at the tournament. Mm -hmm. and they show um, one of the guys cool. who's like the kind of guy in charge of them all and, and you know, giving them, and then reviewing, um, there's a great bit where they've got all, all of them in a room in that what looks like a conference room yeah. and they're reviewing all the decisions from the previous day's games and there's one bit where the guy he's got a really high pitched voice he goes that was a very good red card uh, a very good red card um, yes a very good decision very good thank you <laughs> it's just very very bizarre because at first you think whoa hang on what and then you realise it's the guy at the front talking and uh, they, he'd sent someone off obviously a very good red card yes very good decision <laughs> I might have I might have slightly camped his voice up a little bit there. But it, that, it does sound like artistic that. license. It's all yeah, good. and and that's the thing actually. I think um, two thousand two. I mean, again, well, we'll come on to the two thousand six one in, in a bit because that's a bit strange. The one they showed on mm. the BBC. But yes, sorry, back to the seventies. No, no, no. Yeah, um, I was just going to say the uh, the comments that we had. We had um, Matthew Eastley on Twitter got in touch. Hello, Matthew. He says nineteen seventy four was a classic, moody and beautifully filmed. Which is quite right, Matthew. Very good. And James Taylor says um, I've only seen seventy four, seventy eight, eighty two, and eighty six, but the 74 script stands out, obviously. Franz Beckenbauer, as unhurried as a man strolling down the boulevard for an aperitif. Johan Cruyff, lonely as a mountain wind. He wipes a speck from his eye, or is it a tear? And 
It's just a, was, it, was it Bruce Forsyth doing the enumeration? I, I can't get. He's just <laughs> whilst it's here, lovely candy toys. <laughs> I, can't, I can't do the Joss Hagler, but he's got such a rich, deep sort of. I'm getting as a Richard Burton now, and I better not stop. Um, it's it's just wonderful. It's just wacky and bizarre, but he was just a great narrator for that film. It adds a lot of character to the whole film. So. So there you go. So I mean, that's kind of seventy-four good film again. Another one of my favourites. Um, so that was that. And then, then there's this seventy-eight film, which, as I said before, in the late eighties, you couldn't get it. And I was thinking, why? Why is that? Um, and I found out recently a lot of people refer to it as the ghost film because um, apparently, I kid you not, um, it's been said that basically the film, the footage that was taken of the film, just got lost. <laughs> this is an official FIFA really? World Cup film. Really. Something it's from Argentina one. around the time of the mm. Junta getting disappeared. I know. That's, what, that's how strange. Did it fall out of the back of a helicopter or something? <laughs> Apparently in the mid-90s it was, it was found in a shed somewhere and they decided, oh, we could start to sort of piece this all back together again and remaster it. And it was only in the mid-90s that it finally saw the light of day. I think... I, I seem to vaguely remember hearing something in the um, in the late 80s about or it was something to do with the junta at the time that they didn't want to have the film released because I don't know it portrayed Argentina in a wrong way or I don't know something like that I might be making that up completely but um, yeah that's a strange one and I I have seen the 78 film it's been a long while since I've seen it so it I seem to remember it was quite kind of perfunctory really it was there was not a lot of uh, I remember seeing a site at the site at the beginning of like a big crowd in Buenos Aires, I think, like celebrating or getting G'd up because the World Cup had just started or something. But after that, it was mostly match footage. Um, but I'm glad it kind of did get um, uh, published and saw the light of day in the end anyway, because obviously we want to see what the film was like. But I just don't think there was, it, it didn't have that same depth of quality that the other ones had because of the aforementioned issues with it being lost and all um so then we come on to golay in 82 which i think is my favorite i have to say it's just it's it's wonderful for reasons that i know a lot of our listeners have, have pointed out in the comments that they've seen so you take over i've been waffling a lot thus far rich so you you take a bit of 82 Okay, I'll take on Golet, because that's clearly how it's pronounced <laughs> by, by some random person. Golet. Well, this this one is narrated by Sean Connery, so, you know, so uh. lots of shaky ladies. Uh, um, I don't think there's... Actually, there are some boobs in it. That's the only note I made of the 82 on boobs, exclamation mark, because there are yes. somewhere in it. I don't know if it was on the one that they showed on the BBC recently, because I haven't watched it. I watched it on ESPN Classic last year. Mm. Um, and again, uh, I, 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 I watched this one. It's, it's quite entertaining because this, for me, is the first sort of World Cup that I remember being vaguely conscious of happening at the time, but wasn't really into it. So it's kind mm. of, it was, it was quite nice to watch. Um, I don't remember a huge amount about it, other than I remember seeing um, Ozzy Ardil is wearing number one and That's finding right. that very strange. Only to then find out that actually Argentina um, numbered their squad alphabetically for a long time and for mm. a long time after that even in 86 which I didn't realise apart from yep. Maradona who got the number 10 by default and I think well, that's yeah. kind of what threw me um, yeah it was uh, it was James Taylor that pointed that out to me because I was saying yeah oh I can't believe they did that and he was like yeah they did that in 86 and I'm pretty sure 90 as well I'm like what? Mm. so I went back and looked and I was like, oh yeah <laughs> yes yeah and also England to some extent as well uh, which I, again I didn't find out until very 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 recently because um, Trevor Brooking, who's kind of my idol, as I might have said on, on a previous podcast, I was eagerly waiting for him to make an appearance in the 82 World Cup. And when he did, he was wearing number three. And I was like, 
but not number 10 then, like we normally wore. And only recently did I find out, I think they made a special um, dispensation for one or two of the players to have certain numbers. But other than that, it was done alphabetically. I had no idea. Things you don't realise. But um, anyway, yes. Sean Connery, sexy ladies, boobies, that kind of stuff. <laughs> number one. Number one, yeah. That shows you a dealer's ring number one. What's going uh, on there? <laughs> That's an alphabetical <laughs> order. Mr. Moneypenny, get in touch with the man. Exactly. Um, uh, he, oh, yeah. I, there's also, the only other thing I vaguely remember about it is, um, I think there's the, uh, oh, is, it, is it New Zealand or Australia? It's New Zealand, isn't it? Yes, They're following right. them on the bus there, because it's, mm. you know... I'm, um, but there's, there's some other bits as well, which I vaguely remember seeing and, and thinking they were a, perhaps a little bit racist at the time. Mm-hmm. I can't remember what it was. I don't know if it was, um, I'm, I'm sure it was pro- almost certainly to do with one of the African countries that was there. Yeah. Um, but I, I just vaguely remember, I'm going to have to watch that again, because yeah, you watch it and you just think, yeah, Ouch. I don't think you'd really do that these days. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. It, it it was worse than just calling them defensively naive as well, you know, uh, <laughs> as, as used to be the old call. <laughs> yes uh, of course the other the other thing in the film apart from Sean Connery's narration which is what a lot of people talk about is Rick Wakeman's synth based soundtrack um, which I actually quite like I know it's probably seen by some people as naff and you know, whatever but I just happen to like it because <laughs> I just think it's good um, so that music Rick Wakeman did a lot of different pieces of music which go throughout the film and, and again very much nail it in the early 80s it really sort of sets the era very nicely um, the script I put out a tweet uh, a few weeks ago on Twitter I said can anybody guess the connection between uh, the 1982 World Cup and the, uh, the, the, the TV series Alf Wiedersehen Pet which got everybody stumped and I even made the mistake of saying I will award £5 to anyone who get the right answer which of course is a mistake you should never say that kind of thing because you know someone's going to find out eventually and eventually I think somebody did uh, make the connection which is that the script for the 82 film was written by a guy called Stan Hay who wrote the scripts for many of the episodes of Alf Zane Pet as well as the Lenny Henry show and also Crown Court for those people who are uh, old enough to remember that it's a staple of lunchtime TV viewing if you're off school as I used to be, they used to some kind of half-hour filler program where they used to have a little sort of potted court case. Crown Court was ace. Do you remember Crown Court? I do remember Crown Court, yeah. Mainly from when I was either preschool or, like you say, when I was off school. School, Ill. yeah. It was great. I remember the, the one case that I actually do remember sticking in my... This is nothing to do with World Cup films, by the way. It was someone who'd set fire to the neighbour. So, yeah. <laughs> the way you do. Yeah, exactly. You know, lunchtime telly is different these days, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I'll, you, don't, I'll you say. don't get you don't get burning neighbours. Um, well, you did get neighbours for a while. <laughs> neighbours, they weren't on fire, from what I remember. No, no, indeed. Um, some of them, some of them were hot. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, all right, calm down, down oh, boy. Christ. DJ links, fantastic. Uh, moving <laughs> on. <laughs> I just used to find um, Crown Court rather kind of, um, I don't know, weird and a bit sort of strange. It used to frighten the willies out of me a bit at the time. Yeah, it was know. creepy, wasn't it? Hmm. I don't know why, it just was a bit creepy. Hmm. I think anyway, it was the judges with, with no heads. That? I just made that up. <laughs> um, elsewhere in the 82 film, um, lots of focus on Diego Maradona because he was like the, the new talent that was exploding onto the scene. So they were focusing on him quite a lot at the start. And uh, of course, he got sent off against Brazil in the second round. So that was kind of the end of that. But they, it was quite interesting the way they're talking about Because I think, wasn't it in 82 that he signed for Barcelona? I think so. He, that was a another thing that 
up the ante somewhat in terms of elevating his superstardom. Um, and then there's the great line. I love quoting this. I don't. I don't care if I'm if I'm being boring and repetitive. But um, there's a superb line of dialogue which uh, uh, Sean Connery delivers with real relish. Um, there's a sequence where they show um, Claudio Gentile marking Diego Maradona very um, aggressively as well, like literally like bundling him off the ball and kicking lumps out of him and stuff. And um, Sean Connery says, uh, While the Belgians had stifled Maradona with numbers, the Italians marked him with a one-man crowd called Gentile. Gentile is the sort of guy who tries to swap shirts during the match. <laughs> and that's the bit. <laughs> it's that line about swapping the shirts just does it for me. And he says, wherever was, Maradona... Was it, sorry? No, go on. I was just going to say, wherever Maradona turns, he finds Gentile at his shoulder and his ankles and his knees. There we go. I'll, I'll, that's, that's the end of my uh, uh, thing. Um, I, t- I just liked that fact that it was the that was the Irish Sean Connery. Yes, it's the best I can do. I'm sorry. Um, and uh, yeah, as you said, there was a focus on New Zealand because that was their first World Cup, and they show a bit on the uh, their preparations for their first match against the Soviet Union. And there's a bit in there. There's an F word in there, which I think got bleeped out when it was shown on ESPN Classic. But the uh, the New Zealand manager doing the halftime team talk, and he's kind of <clears throat> loses his rag somewhat. And going back to the boobs, by the way, <laughs> there's a <laughs> there's a secret. I think it's like after the first round is finished, and they kind of show you um, like Spain returning to normal life because there's no football on for a couple of days. So they show you kind of guys sweeping the streets in the town centre and stuff like that. And then there's this sequence of a load of sunbathers on a beach, and there's this woman who is barefoot to the ankles. Um, you know, and um, yes, it's all there. But they took that out as well in the ESPN. Classic. God knows I waited for it. And it didn't turn up in the end. Um, so there you go. But a bit, bit fruity, a bit racy for a World Cup film, nonetheless. Um, but it's a, yeah, I just I love the film. Um, there's um, just the, oh, there's a good sequence with Harold Schumacher or Shoemaker, as um, I think Sean Connery called him later in the film. Um, the whole thing of him bundling over Battiston and all that kind of stuff. That was good. Um, so. Uh, lots of lots of good stuff, and as I say, you, you just know that it's the early '80s. It's something about the music and the, the the quality of the footage and stuff. It's just lovely. My favourite film that. And then we come on to oh, sorry, a quick comment on the '82. Um, uh, the Chells VSBNPO on uh, Twitter said, "Gole '82." Sean Connery says, "England were like a Cape Canaveral countdown: three, two, one, zero, which is obviously a reference to the number of goals they were scoring per game. So, thank you very much, very much for that. Now we come on to Hero, 1986. The stage is yours. <laughs> yes, of course. Uh, Mexico 86, as, as you well know, everybody who <coughs> listens to this will know, it's when I got into football, and I didn't actually get the video of uh, Hero till about 1992 or three or something. Uh, it might have mm-hmm. been later than that, actually. And the reason for that is I, we, we didn't have a video recorder or even a video player in our house until 1991. So I had no chance of owning any VHSs. And even then, by that point, you couldn't buy it anywhere. It was just, mm-hmm. it had been deleted. So, uh, and I eventually tracked it down in, a, I think, an HMV in Birmingham, um, just randomly. And it looked it looked like it had been there since 1986 as well, because it was a really, like, really old, battered sort of box. But I didn't care, because I finally got to watch it. 
because I'd seen it advertised for years in shoot and I was always like oh I want to see this film yeah. um, and then yeah finally got to watch it and and I absolutely love it it's brilliant I mean yeah. again it couldn't be more mid 80s if it tried I mean it's got again the Rick Wakeman synth soundtrack um, <laughs> and it's quite funny because he's doing like sort of cod Mexican music on it yeah um, not as good as in 82 I thought his music for 86 but um, but still as you say very kind of trying to nail the yeah. the, the mood <laughs> exactly yeah um, and it's and this one's narrated by Michael Caine. Um, yes. I th- there's not so much. There's not so much a script. Oh, I'm not going to try and do an impression. <laughs> something about the bloody doors or something, you know. Um, uh, but there, there's, there doesn't. Seem, it doesn't seem to be as heavily scripted as, as it was previously. They still they still have like you know nuances of it, and they still have the you know the occasional flourish. But it's it's not. It seems to be a bit more um, toned down. Certainly mm. not in the Joss Ackland days. Um, yeah. Absolutely. But, I mean, it, it, it's it's a great film, and it, it. But the funny thing is, you can tell it is mid eighties because it opens up and the film opens and it 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 does this sort of nice little intro bit where it shows you all the stars of the World Cup, and it's yes. kind of the synth soundtrack is kind of quite pounding with orchestra stabs every time it like da 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 da, you know that kind of thing. It's like, yeah. And then it will show you like you know, um, and it'll freeze frame on like Elk Jair or something, or whatever his name is, Elk Yaya or whatever, and then. Um, I don't know what his name. Kevin <laughs> Elkjaya. I can't pronounce uh, it. I'm not Danish. Look, you can go back to your Irish Sean Connery. <laughs> ah, to be sure. Over there. <laughs> Over there. Look, it's Miss Miss Money Penny. <laughs> I think we've hit about every stereotype in the world today. Yeah, I think um, so. <laughs> what's this guy then? I don't understand. Ted. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh dear. Um, where was I? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, Elkjaya. Tabs and Eben Prog- Preben Elkjaya. <laughs> <laughs> and then Enzo Francescoli and all the rest of them. So it kind of who? Yeah, never. Platini, Rubinigger, uh, all that lot. Wasn't wasn't that what the Jawa said? <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're even insulting Jawas. Um, so yeah, so it, it goes through all that, and then it, and then the 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 thing that I noticed first about it, and it, this is probably common to all the films at the time, but obviously it was the first one I'd ever seen, was the fact that it it doesn't follow the tournament in a chronological sense it kind of it has like several themes running towards the final so yeah. it'll follow like brazil um that's right so far and then it'll fight <laughs> and then of course and then of course they got knocked out by france so then it'll start showing france's journey and of course they got to the semi-final so then it'll show you germany's route because they knocked france out and it, it does that kind of weird thing so it's if you're watching it and you're not seeing the tournament itself it's a bit confusing because it does jump all over the place. Yeah. But at the same time, like I say, they're building a narrative, and it, it does work because it at least makes it more interesting because you're at least following a theme and, a, and an mm. actual plot rather than just kind of oh here's the first round, here's the second round. You know, it's kind of so it does make it interesting. Um, yeah. The other funny thing about it is is it gets punctuated by um, theme tune songs, if you like. So every team has its theme tune. So uh, and I I I reviewed this um, for the football attic this video um, years ago I think and, and mentioned this and it's like so uh, France get Viva les Bleus les Bleus um, yeah yeah that's the one and, I always um, remember Brazil gets one that goes lo 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 Brazil and that's it <laughs> <laughs> and they just but every time they show the crowd they play that thing tune even though nobody's singing it in the crowd at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it's just it's just bizarre. So everyone gets that, and then and there's lots of slow mo shots and stuff, and and mm-hmm. you know rich warm synth sounds to go along with the sort of warm sunniness, and and it, I ju- I just absolutely love it. It's it's just a great film because it's so of its time, 
Um, yeah, and it's it's all sunny, and it's my favourite World Cup. So <laughs> you know, and it of course includes, as someone mentioned on Twitter, I don't know if you've noted that one down. Is there? It's got Brian Butler's commentary, which is the first time I ever heard that piece of commentary on Maradona's second goal. My favourite piece of commentary ever in the whole world. Um, and Chris it's the first Guy, time yeah, I ever heard it. Yes, yes. So yeah, I totally agree with him. Best piece of commentary ever. Fantastic. Yes, yes. Chris Guy at Chris GQPR on Twitter says yes, he was a genius. Byron Butler sorely missed, which is absolutely right. And of course, they, as you said before on on a previous podcast, Rich, they they show um, certain goals with a kind of radio commentary accompaniment, so you get the kind of French equivalent or the German equivalent or whatever, which is quite quite a nice little touch actually. I thought it's quite a good thing to do. Yeah. Um, other comments we had on the '86 film, uh, Daniel. At Luzhniki 2008, he says, has to be Hero, Mexico 86, best soundtrack, accompanied by Michael Caine commentary at what, for me, was the best World Cup. And uh, Rich Nelson on Facebook said, 1986, every every day of the week, the famed partnership of Caine and Wakeman. Also, uh, 1966, he's also gone for, said, moaning about the state of modern football, which was uh, something I didn't pick up on earlier on. But uh, thanks to all of you for your comments on that as well. Um, yeah, um, I, I kind of found it a bit odd that whole thing of like we'll focus on one player or one team until they get eliminated and then switch it so I, I found it a little bit not not difficult to follow but sort of a bit um, or maybe it was a bit difficult to follow I don't know but again a bit like the whole 1970 film with the small boy I, I, I kind of think you've got to at least applaud them for saying let's try this let's see if this will work it just makes things a bit more different so that's, uh, that was pretty good um so uh, yeah, so that's eighty six, and uh, what else have I got? On? Oh, I've just noted down here that um, uh, the closing theme was called "Special Kind of Hero," sung by Stephanie Lawrence. For those of you that like that kind of stuff, and also an odd, an odd closing credit. It says at the end, if you watch the the, the credits at the end of the film, it says the producers wish to thank ISL Marketing, Fuji Photo Film UK, Arsenal FC. I'm like. What the hell did they have to do with it, for God's sake? <laughs> did they kind of sneak in a few bits of stock footage that they took at Highbury or something? What was Arsenal They, they probably provided the kind of sound effects of the ball being kicked. Uh, well, that's possible. Yes, indeed. Um, so I guess that takes us up to 1990, so it's back to you on that one, I think. Ugh, 1990. Because <laughs> <laughs> my memories so, of the 1990 film is a bit hazy, I have to admit. Yeah, well, I, I finally <laughs> managed to... I got hold of this one um, in about 19... Must have been about ninety five, I think it was. Basically, mm-hmm. they, I think they re-released all the films because I this yes. I got this in a kind of much later version. Um, they sort of themed the whole um, video covers, and yeah. I, I, I annoyingly missed out on buying the nineteen ninety four one. But this isn't back in the days when um, uh, videos were about sort of thirteen pounds ninety nine. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> really yes. expensive. So, I, but I bought the nineteen ninety one. It's called Soccer Shootout. Um, <laughs> Uh, mainly yeah. referencing the fact that almost every single game in the latter stages was penalties <laughs> and boring as they were. Um, the whole thing is narrated by Edward Woodward, who it's it's very reminiscent, I suppose, of the Joss Ackland style because again he's they've they've kind of scripted it so he's got his little um, you know little lines to say and yeah. and he says it in a in a very Edward Woodward way, it's sort of very fast clipped sort of manner, but at the same time managing to sound very bored with the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think this was the one where I really noticed the the complete lack of actual crowd noise, and mm. the the ball noise that when they kick the ball is is fake, you know, and because yes. it really stands out. Because like it was, I mean, the only experience I can liken it to is when they were showing the um, 
the other week when they had the two um, matches, the final matches of the group games of the World Cup, and when they were showing one on like ITV and another on ITV4, and one mm. of them was being um, dubbed in the studio, you could tell. And I think they, they were admitting that at the time; they weren't trying to hide it. But but the problem is the crowd noise was like really quiet, so you mm. had commentary and almost like visual and a kind of really really quiet crowd noise. And it's a very similar thing because you watch the film and every, every single thing is like there's no crowd noise at all. It's just mm. really really low level. And every time someone hits the ball, it's the same sound. It doesn't matter whether they head it, chest it, it gets hit on their ass or whatever. It's the same <laughs> thump. And yeah. you just think, it's, and, and again, when the ball hits the net, it's the same sound every single yeah. time. And it's just weird. It's almost a surreal <laughs> version of football that's kind of been, it's like watching it through a pillow or something. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, obviously a transparent pillow, because otherwise <laughs> it would just be white. Um, so, <laughs> I think we know I'd what say, you're getting. Say, yeah, and, and again, it follows that whole kind of um, going down one route. Um, so it follows, yeah. the, I think, the Dutch and the Irish. It's quite funny because there's, it's an odd one because they follow the Irish, I suppose, because they did, you know, they got through the second round and, and, and everything. But it, it follows, the, it seems to follow quite a few of the, um, of the one in England's group. So like Holland yeah. and England and Ireland all seem to get quite a big show from it. Um, even though I think Holland only got to the second round in that one because it got knocked out by yes. Germany. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it does the whole sort of same thing again. So it doesn't start with I might I mean there might be a few clips of the opening ceremony, but it doesn't start with the Argentina Cameroon game. And I just found that weird. I remember when I when yeah. I started watching it, it was like, huh, what? Hey, hang <laughs> on, why are we starting with like England's group? Seeing as that was the last group, mm. and it, it's it's very strange. But um, yeah, it's it's all right. It's not it's not one of the best. I mean, it wasn't exactly a great World Cup anyway, but. <laughs> It's just a very subdued film. You don't, it's it's not particularly exciting. It's not. I mean, contrast that with uh, Mexico '86, and it, it's a complete world apart, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, well, not too good. Yeah, I, I yeah. Say, so I saw it a long time ago. My memories are very limited and hazy. So, um, yeah, Edward Woodward is a, an actor I'm. Um, I used to like very much actually, and um, I kind of used. I remember watching that. Uh, 1990 film and thinking I wonder how much he was actually into football because as you say if they don't sound like they're too kind of enthusiastic in the way that they're doing their lines you kind of think is it because they're just not a football fan and I don't know but um, if anybody out there you know maybe was a friend of the family with uh, Edward Woodward maybe you could uh, get in touch with us and let us know Um, what would have been good is if he'd have actually watched because obviously the final was dire mm. so it would have been good if he'd narrated that in the style of his part from The Wicker Man at the end. <laughs> oh God! Oh Jesus Christ! That would have been good. Uh, well, like the equaliser. Yeah, exactly. Just shot it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dear. Now, nineteen ninety-four. Um, this one was two called bil- two, two billion, billion hearts. hearts. Oh my God! Now here I reach a personal low point. I have to make an admission, <laughs> folks. Um, uh, probably about a year ago, I sat down to write a review of said film for the uh, Football Attic blog site, which is www.thefootballattic.com, for those of you who still don't know. And I thought, okay, let's watch the film and, and I shall write what I see. And when I came out of my coma, what I realised was that it, I just I nodded off after about 20 minutes. And the first 15 or so minutes was essentially a sequence of... Um, people around america being interviewed or being asked you know 
um, are you looking forward to the World Cup or what do you think of the World Cup? And every single one of them to a man and woman basically saying, oh, we don't really know what the World Cup is or whatever, you know. And, and they all had this sort of what's the World Cup thing. And it was almost like the filmmakers had put that in as an apologetic sort of amnesty thing of sort of saying, look, we know that you think that America is a non-footballing uh, country, a, a football-hating country, and that we're all a bit thick. Um, so this is our way of saying, yes, we are. So now we've done that, but we can now go on and show you some football. And I just thought there was no need for that. It actually makes American people sort of look worse than they really are if they don't didn't know anything about football or the World Cup. Well, you know, so what? It's not. I don't think any any worse of them for it. But there was no need to devote a big chunk of the start of the film to all of that. All you have to sort of say is that you know, this is only America's whatever it was second third appearance in the World Cup. You know, and and. Now it's starting to take off in America. That's all they needed to say. But I just thought it was a bit kind of patronising, really, of the uh, good American folk. But um, anyway, much more than that, I didn't see. I just sort of it put me in a bad mood after that. And I just found it a little bit boring, frankly. Wow. What are your thoughts on on that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, again, like you say, it's it's a typical opening. And obviously just trying to portray the fact that, you know, most people in America didn't know what soccer was. And mm. the fact that and it, it, it is quite funny because a lot of people in America at the time didn't know it was even taking place, which mm. I find quite, I find, I actually quite like the fact that, that you know, because FIFA think that there's this, you know, that the, the World Cup bandwagon is this massive juggernaut. That they roll into town, take all, you know, demand tax free status. And, mm. and you know, kind of tell you, dictate everything. And I just love the fact that it rolled into America, and the majority of people didn't even know it was happening. <laughs> it's just, I, I just find that fantastic. Because FIFA think that the, you know, it's, you know, football is the be all and end all of everything, and yet it was taking place in a country who were just like, what, what, what's going on? And I remember at the time, it didn't get much coverage even in the press because at the time in America, it didn't mean anything. They didn't care really about football. No. You know, they, they they didn't... I mean, the MLS hadn't even started because that was set up after the World Cup. In fact, that was actually a condition of them hosting the World Cup. That's right. They start a league and maintain it. Um, mm. And I just love the fact that, you know, I can just see Seth Blatter... Well, actually, it wasn't him in charge at the time, was it? It was just... Wah, 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 And I just love the idea, though, of it rolling into town and, and everyone going, meh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, but indeed. I mean, the rest of the the rest of the films, all right. It's I mean, I I enjoyed USA '94 as a World Cup, so mm. it, it's it's quite good. It, it's it's starting towards uh, or moving away from the narrative aspects, and and it's still following things because it follows Maradona, um, but it's a bit more bitty than um, than the previous ones where they kind of follow this, you know, right to the nth degree and then switch to a different track. It's it's a lot yeah. more free-flowing and a bit more chronological but i mean it's it's all right the funny thing was as we were as we were looking through the uh the list of narrators and stuff and this one's narrated by leave schreiber and i thought who and i thought mm -hmm. is that probably some kind of uh you know journalist no he's an actor and he's yeah, actually so he's one of those actors where i can't really think of anything i think the only thing i've seen him in recently was a film called the reluctant fundamentalist which was mm. good um uh and other than that he's one of those people you recognize you think oh it's him but then you can't think mm. where you've actually seen him before. <laughs> so, so yeah, they seem, again, following the tradition of getting um, well-known actors to do it, um, mm. which sometimes works. And sometimes then you to 98 and you get Sean Bean. Sean Bean. Now, uh, 98... Sean Bean. I, Sean Bean. 
what was the I've been out of the UK a couple of years now so I'm, I've lost lost some of the memory here but what was it didn't he used to do uh, the TV commercials for it wasn't Safeway was it or one of the one of the kind of Morrison's or one of the you know, Asda or something like that one of the supermarket chains I can't remember now but he's done loads of TV commercial voiceovers yes and I, I hadn't seen the 98 in fact all the, about the last three or four World Cup films I hadn't seen at all literally until about a, a week or two ago and I just saw a short excerpt from the 1998 film earlier on today. And I, th- I just suddenly heard his voice. And he just reeked of boredom. He just, I'm, uh, I mean, he's a, I'm sure he's a great actor or whatever. whatever. And, but it just, uh, there was all this kind of action going on. Brazil, you know, great, the great Brazil side and Rivaldo and Ronaldo and all this kind of stuff. And then you get this voice that's sort of saying... Then Philippe Scolari put the puts put Rivaldo on, and he run down left wing, threw in a black pudding, and he headed it into back at net. And you know, I think they've got the most boring voice I can think of to kind of oh, it just seemed a real the, the, bad mistake. The, the funny thing is as well, obviously in France, so the title of it is La Coupe de la Gloire, or gl- Gloire, Gloire. Uh, gl- uh, Glory, basically. So it's La Coupe de la Gloire. <laughs> yes. Oh, Ronald, Ronaldo hadn't turned up for final because uh, he, he had fit. Uh, someone had mixed his Yorkshire tea. <laughs> Apologise uh, to anyone in Yorkshire. Uh, yeah, or but, mainly because you have to live in Yorkshire. <laughs> uh, I'm joking. It's quite sorry, nice sorry, place, sorry. Really, it is. Um, um, yes. it, I just it it kind of depresses me hearing him doing that sort of narration because again they've gone for an actor and. Uh, yes, he's got a distinctive voice, fair, all right. But, at uh, least Sean Bean actually does like football. He is yes. a well-known Blades fan, so yeah. at least they've actually got one that does like football. But then you'd never know that from his narration, would you? No, not a lot. No, it's just um, utterly bloody depressing. Yeah, quite um, like Paraguay because they're in red and white stripes. <laughs> Remind me at back home in Terrace Street, <laughs> where I used to go out with cloth, cloth cap on and whip it. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, in my old nailed boots. <laughs> On streets at Sheffield. <laughs> when I went to watch Human League and, uh, and uh, Evan 17. <laughs> uh, I think they get uh, the general idea now. Um, yes, I think so. There's, a, there's another connection with the 1982 film, or 86, <laughs> I said, um, um, Stan Hay was again on writing duties for 1998. He was the guy I mentioned earlier on, did the um, Alfie Zane pet scripts and such like. So he came back again, um, as was picked up by a good friend of ours, um, Andrew Rockall, mentioned that on Twitter. Um, and also looking at that, when I caught the end credits, because I didn't see much more than that of the 1998 film, um, it looks to me, and you may be able to confirm this, Rich, that they did another sequence where they were using a bit of radio commentary, because it says... Um, uh, radio commentary courtesy of Talk Radio UK and then in brackets Alan Parry uh, and Ra- uh, BBC Radio 5 Live in brackets Mike Ingham uh, and then they also had a few others like the German radio commentary and the Brazilian commentary so it looked like they were trying out that whole 86 approach again uh, but I didn't actually see or hear that bit so maybe any of you listening into this podcast might be able to confirm that corroborate all that that would be good if you could um, and then we get to 2002. We're running out of time. We're, we're heavily over time already. One one hour and seventeen. That's all right. But we're we're coming to the you know, this recent is past now. by Jesus. It is just Jesus, uh, Jesus AKA, of Nazareth, <laughs> aka Robert Powell. Um, no, it's Jesus. 
<laughs> yeah, that was that was um, what his disciples used to call him, apparently. Um, <laughs> and again, I only saw sort of short section of this, and yeah, we're into kind of corporate, fairly kind of ho hum style of show the football and one or two other bits. Although I also did see that bit you mentioned earlier on, where they were doing the referees' briefing, where they were kind of re- reviewing what had gone well and badly in the previous days. Um, football match or whatever which was quite interesting and there's also a bit in there where they show you um, the uh, I think I've got the right one here yes I have um, that there's a sequence that where they show you a few people sat in a room um, drawing uh, numbers out of a hat which dictates which players are going to get oh, dope, yeah. t- dope tested that's right yes yes and every, everybody was clear yeah everybody was clear they, they picked it was for the Brazil England game and they chose yes. Cafu, Ronaldinho, uh, and then at the uh, Razmataz end of the scale, you had Rio Ferdinand and Danny Mills for England. <laughs> and uh, yes, remarkably, they all came through squeaky clean, whist- clean as a whistle. Uh, so, um, yes, so that was an interesting one. And um, another curious credit at the end of the film, it said executive producer Jerry Harrison, which I'm sure must be the same Jerry Harrison who commentated for ITV in the 70s. Uh, for the Anglia region, if memory serves. So, um, yeah, curious. That I'm sure it must be him. Anyway, there you go. And then 2006 was, uh, what was that, seven games from Glory? No, no, that was 2002, that was. 2006, oh, now this okay. is the interesting one. There you go. Well, it's not interesting, but 2006 <laughs> is called the Grand Finale. Now, I watched this a couple of years ago when it was on, I think Channel 4 showed it, actually. And it's narrated by Pierce Bromholm. Um, and, <laughs> and obviously that's going to make it incredibly dull. Um, but the strange thing is, is that I started to watch this one the other day uh, from the BBC uh, one that they've been showing, yes. and it's not the film. Yeah. So anyone that's watched the 2006 one recently, you've been lied to, you've not seen the actual film, because it's completely different. So I, I mentioned this to you uh, earlier, didn't I, Chris? I said that it, it wasn't, because I couldn't remember who narrated the film, yeah. and obviously it was, it was Mr. Bronholm. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, the, whoever's doing well, I, I, I said to you that like the, when they showed the 2006 one here, it was more like felt more like a highlights package, and it's and it's narrated by some I think it's some ITV or BBC commentator, yeah. so it just sounds like a normal you know match of the day or something. Yeah. And I, I, I swore that was wrong, and it didn't, and it looked like um, video footage rather than film footage. You know, the f- mm. films always have that very filmic look about them. Yeah, and I was right, and it's and and it is. So the the actual film that the BBC have showed recently is not the grand finale at all because it doesn't even call it that. It doesn't even say it's like an official FIFA film. It just starts and says, you know, two thousand six World Cup. <laughs> so, so if you can, and this one went straight to to uh, direct to video release. It was. I think you can get the DVD for about three quid off eBay or something. But yeah, if you really want to see the two thousand six one, you need to find it. It's called the grand finale, um, mm-hmm. and it was completely different to what they've just showed. I do have a, a copy because I think I ripped it off the telly when it was on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm after done. I watched that again, but it wasn't very interesting. Again, Pierce mm. Bronholm doing the narration. I'm saying Bronholm on purpose, by the way. It's not. I'm not stupid. What is that um, all about? I love like oh, the fact you're saying Bronholm, even though I don't know what it means. It's an Adam and Joe thing. They call him Bronholm. Ah, I see. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Fair Anyone enough. else there that likes uh, Adam and Joe? Uh, Taffin, that's get all it. I'll say. <laughs> get in um, touch. So, yeah, so, you know, meh to that one. And then 2010, I don't know if anyone's ever seen that one, um, but I watched, again, I haven't watched the one that the BBC have just put on, but I did, actually, I think, no, that's due to be on this Saturday. Um, mm. But I did watch it when ESPN showed it last year, and it was crap. 
because mm-hmm. it was it's only 64 minutes long and normally these things are about 90 minutes long at least mm. and it was just really really dull it was almost like a just a highlight it was almost like one of the old when you used to get you know the kind of all the goals of the world used to, yeah well you used to get like three videos that would come out for each world cup you'd have the official film then yeah. you'd have the highlights which was like a not an official fifa one mm-hmm. and then you'd have like say all the goals of uh, yes. so like the, there's definitely those for at least 1998-6 and i think 82 have yeah. definitely got all three I had of those several of those yeah yeah, and 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 this one feels more like just an like an unofficial highlights package. It was just boring, and it's <laughs> it's too short for God's sake. Mind you, that said, it was a crap World Cup, so it got what it deserved. Really, <laughs> and uh, departed from the old get a, an actor in to do the narration as well because they had Ian Dark, um, who I actually don't mind as a commentator, but the fact that they've just got in us basically a, a regular sort of in this case Sky Sports commentator or whatever seems a bit of a cop out to me. Um, Which again kind of lends to the sort of not really a film feel. It hmm. kind of lends to the highlights package feel. So it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's all a bit crap, but you know. But so it'll be interesting to see what the 2014 one's going to be. Maybe it's going to be called yeah. Seventh Heaven or something. <laughs> I tell you, it occurred to me after seeing um, Brazil get humped seven-one earlier on today. I was sort of thinking that's going to be a key part of the film, isn't it? I mean, they've got to devote at least half an hour to that, surely. And just again, the reaction of the fans afterwards and the people back, you know, in the favelas and stuff like that, and their reaction—that's going to be. They a might big... just gloss over it. They might show. <laughs> they might follow Brazil all the way to the quarterfinal and then just not mention it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, oh, sorry, was there something you wanted to see on that? Uh, okay. Yeah. Oh, uh, and also Germany got through to the final. No, nothing. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, I think you'll agree, we've kind of packed a lot in. There's there's uh, a few other things as well, just to throw in. I don't know if you realise, this is something I found out almost accidentally recently. Did you know that the 1986 film, Hero, it was the second highest grossing film in Argentina? Uh, because, <laughs> not only because of the fact that they won the tournament that year, but as luck would have it, a lot of the film was focused on Maradona. And so it was wildly popular. Second highest grossing film in Argentina, that was. They they loved it over there. Um, and also, um, the a lot of the film crews, especially sort of up to, I don't know, the 90s, let's say, if not slightly beyond that, the, a lot of the film crews that went to do the World Cup films also did the official Olympics films as well. So it was just um, um, it was like Worldmark films and all the variations of that. There was kind of a few different kind of companies that tended to be in charge of doing the films, a, a British company or British people involved. So they kind of went around, did some of the Euros official films. I've never seen an uh, official film of the Euros, actually. I have to hunt that down, but apparently they do exist. Uh, one or two. What about you? Have you heard of, seen any of those, Rich? Um, I don't think so. I vaguely have a recollection of seeing something about the 92 one, though. Hmm. So maybe. Well, it did, um, cause one, I, yeah, sorry, go on. As, well, I was just going to say one thing, actually, that's interesting to note, is the fact that because of the, against the Germany one, it says direct-to-video release actually therefore implies of course that all of these films were actually released theatrically so these were yeah. you could go and see them in the cinema but I'd, I'd, I've never ever seen one for no. advertised anywhere and, and that's the thing I remember here's a random thing um, I remember hearing about the 86 film Hero because I was watching one Saturday morning um, Saturday Superstore <laughs> there you go tell your parents um, and they had competitions, you know, these they, all these kind of competitions. You send in a postcard or ring up or whatever. And one week they said, "Oh, and uh, we've got a competition this week. We can win a copy of uh, 
the film that's just come out for the it's the 1986 official World Cup film called Hero and uh, and I thought because this was like pretty much probably may have even been the first time I even became aware that you could have official FIFA World Cup films I thought how can you have a film of football because you watch football on TV don't you so how how does that work that you go to a, a cinema and watch football I'm not aware of any any cinemas that actually showed any of those films but I dare say in London or whatever they one or two of them might have done but yeah most of them must have gone straight to video I'd have thought uh, in the majority of cases Oh, very strange. Well, apparently not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Um, <coughs> yes. Um, uh, yeah, no, it was just one thing I was going to mention on the previous point. Um, I read an interview somewhere with uh, one of the cameramen who I think was involved in doing some of the World Cup films. And, um, yeah, he just sort of dropped into conversation some reference about, oh, when we went to do the 1988, the Euro 88 film, I thought, ooh didn't know there were any so i'll have to see if i can find out about those whether they're as uh, good bad or otherwise as the world cup films remains to be seen but that's for discussion on another day because we're pretty much out of time i should think um just wanted to say thank you to all of you who have contributed your comments and uh, told us about your favorite moments and favorite films uh, very much appreciate that um so um that's that um rich what have you got to add before we head off into the sunset Nothing really. I've got to get to work in a minute. That's not good, is it? Got to go to work. I don't know. What can I say? Yeah. This this isn't this isn't our profession, ladies and gents. You'll be surprised to hear that we do have day jobs. Well, <laughs> really? Don't anyone to think this is professional? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, that's pretty much all we've got time for. So uh, thanks for bearing with us over this last hour and a half. Uh, we hope to be back again with another podcast, our twentieth, no less, in the not too distant future. Uh, but until then. Uh, thanks for your company and from myself Chris Oakley and from Rich Johnson it's goodbye and it's goodbye from him and, and <laughs> yes thank you for that and don't forget you can catch us on Square One Football Radio uh, amongst other places as well uh, but uh, yes that'll be it then thanks very much goodbye goodbye <laughs>